You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest with us. We always have special guests. This one is uh, super special. Uh, Zach Stock. And uh, Zach Stock's uh, actually based out of Denver, Colorado. And um, he has a little bit different um, insurance programs to what, you know, traditional real estate companies are used to. So uh, he has. Uh, some programs such as captive, self-insurance, reinsurance, and uh, he's going to talk about some uh, other alternative risk tools such as alternative risk transfers. And uh, it's going to be a pretty meaty conversation. So uh, definitely listen to this because it's very interesting information that I think um, everybody could could uh, see valuable. So thanks for coming on, Zach. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. And um, would love to hear a little bit more about what you're working on and, and your program and how you're you're adding value um, to real estate companies, uh, specifically multifamily or um, any other asset class um, as an alternative to just traditional uh, insurance programs. Sure. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah, I, you know, I know you've had a number of other uh, guests speak about insurance and a lot of times those conversations really focus a lot more on coverage and kind of some of the moving pieces as far as coverage goes. And really my specialty is much more focused on the financial structure of an insurance program. I tend to work with larger real estate investors uh, who have a little bit larger balance sheet than uh, the typical uh, investor. And when we work with these type of large uh, asset managers and investors, there's some options that are really traditionally overlooked. Um, and as you mentioned, a, a lot of those things involve alternatives to traditional insurance. One of those being a captive insurance company, uh, which is a, an insurance company that's actually owned 100% by the parent company. So if you're an asset manager, you would create your own insurance company. Uh, and this would allow you to access the reinsurance marketplace instead of the traditional or retail insurance market space. Uh, often what we're finding is for large investors, by skipping over the traditional retail uh, insurance pricing, they're really finding savings somewhere around 40, 40 to 50% on their portfolio insurance costs. Um, so that's, that's the approach that I take. I, I'm much more interested in working with investors who are looking at their insurance program as a almost a piece of their financing program uh, that they give the same attention to the insurance as they would putting together a capital stack for their investments. Sure. So can you talk about the size of um, usually your insurance rollout programs? Like what's like the minimum? Uh, can you kind of talk about that a little bit more? Certainly. So usually for this type of program to be really cost effective, we're looking at someone who's got a pro insurance costs that are hovering around $250,000 or more. Uh, there's a few cases where for coastal properties or someone with an exposure that's very unique, um, some smaller investors it might make sense for. But generally speaking, about 250000 is the, the beginning point. And that, depending on the region you're in, is going to be around $100 million in asset value. Got it. So can you, can you talk about how it's, it's a little bit different from just traditional 
uh, insurance carriers and, and how you're able to, I guess, um, bundle different policies, which provides a pretty, you know, um, pretty hefty savings for some of these larger operators. Yeah, and if you don't mind, what I'd like to do is actually back up a step and talk about just a little bit about how the pricing of insurance works. I know, sure. um, you know, there's a lot of conversations that have taken place around uh, whether a building is masonry or wood frame and exposures like that. But really what those uh, details are addressing is the underlying risk associated with the property. And when an insurance company looks at how they're going to price an insurance policy, they are looking at two things. One is the frequency of claims. The other is the severity of claims. So if you think of that on an XY axis, uh, you're going to have along the X axis is, uh, axis is the frequency of claims. So uh, that's a lot of small claims that may run along the bottom. The other is going to be the severity of claims. Those tend to be um, much more infrequent, but potentially catastrophic. And so what we really do is focus on the, where those pricing tiers break down. And in the real estate business, depending on the type of properties you're investing in, you can be looking at uh, an attachment for frequency versus severity as low as, say, $50,000. So an insurance company might look at your portfolio and see lots of small claims. You know, you have some slip fall nuisance claims, uh, potentially some vandalism or minor claims, but they're really, they're not putting you out of business. They're not jeopardizing your investments, but because they're very frequent, uh, the insurance company charges a lot of premium to cover those smaller claims because they're very consistent. They know every year on a large asset portfolio, you know, they may have $200,000 a year of claims. So essentially what they do is say, okay, well, we're going to charge you $200,000 to insure that layer of claims plus a 50 or a hundred percent markup for administering that. And so really what I try and do with investors is focus on what is the tolerance you have for risk within that frequency layer? How do we evaluate what your true financial capacity to bear risk is? Because the higher up we can move you in that frequency layer and get you further and further up that Y-axis into the severity layer, that's where you're really going to start seeing significant savings. So it, you know, one of the big pricing breakpoints traditionally is $250,000, which I know for a lot of investors to say, oh, I'm going to take a $250,000 deductible, uh, maybe kind of a staggering number, but for a large portfolio, you know, with a, a strong balance sheet, that's really should be something that's attainable. And that, if you move to that $250,000 uh, retention, all of a sudden pricing just plummets because very, very few claims ever pierce above that $250,000 layer. And so really all of the programs that I use, all the tools I use are based around really taking better control of that sub 250 layer. Or in some cases, you know, we have programs where we've put in place deductibles as high as a million dollars um, where they've said, hey, we can bear that exposure. If we take a million dollar hit, it's unpleasant, but we're going to be okay. And often you'll see that if you, you know, to use an extreme example, uh, if you take on a million dollar deductible on a program that's large enough, you may see a premium savings of $600,000 a year. And so it really only takes two years before you've saved as much premium uh, as you've now exposed yourself to for losses. 
Got it. Okay. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So in the kind of coming out of COVID-19, um, what has your experience been with, you know, insurance companies? Um, you know, like, has there been a substantial increase in claims and uh, operators trying to claim, you know, uh, things that weren't on their policy as it relates to loss of revenue or um, even with the riots, um, acts, considered acts of terrorism? Have you, have you seen any new cases kind of arise, which is you know, theoretically in my mind would drive up the price of insurance, as you said, it relates to how much claims yeah, they pay it, out a year. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And in, property insurance rates have been going up around the country before any of this happened. Um, the insurance industry works in cycles and we've been in a very soft cycle for a very long time. And insurance companies have essentially been losing money every year, but their investments have been returning so much money that they've been able to kind of make up the difference uh, based on their balance sheet. What we're seeing now because of all the market turmoil and then just because of the way the cycles work, uh, you know, those prices were on the rise. Uh, fortunately, multifamily in particular seems to be very well insulated from potential downturns. People need some place to live. Uh, right now, I haven't seen a lot of issues with loss of income because of the stimulus money that's been coming out. So I think there's been a lagging uh, response from the general population to the financial impact of COVID-19. I think once we see that additional $600 a week that's involved in unemployment go away potentially at the end of July, then I think we're looking at a really significant uh, potential increase in defaults at that point. Um, so I haven't seen a lot of loss of income claims there. Uh, in the commercial real estate side, very different story. Retail in particular, restaurants, you know, th these not not just the businesses themselves, but the landlords are really being badly hurt. And yeah, we are trying, seeing um, people try and make claims, uh, but very often, as I think most people are aware, you know, those are things that are not going to be covered by a traditional insurance policy. Um, and, and then to your point about the uh, protesting and riots that have taken place, uh, fortunately, they are not acts of terrorism, uh, despite what the rhetoric that's been used in the media. Uh, terrorism, at least as the insurance industry defines it, um, kind of aligns more with the FBI's definition of it, that they need to be foreign terrorists. Uh, we can use an argument regarding uh, the domestic terrorism and, and are they truly terrorist groups. That's a, a conversation that I don't need to get into, uh, but at least from the standpoint of insurance, these are just vandalism claims uh, and they should be covered. So I have not seen uh, anybody be concerned about not being covered. Obviously, there's a lot of concern surrounding uh, deductibles and retentions. You know, as I said, a lot of our clients are going to take on a lot of additional risk. These types of events can be very, very painful. Um, and that's why when we work with a client, we want to make sure that we don't put them in a program that's going to do them financial harm. They need to have the balance sheet strength that they truly are capable of absorbing these losses. I actually heard um, through the rumor mill, I live here in Denver and not too far from our capital, which just recently underwent a significant renovation and was badly damaged, vandalized during these uh, riots. And there is uh, the rumor is that they have a $500,000 retention or deductible on that property. So the city is going to need to come up with a half a million dollars before their insurance will kick in. So, you know, there's certainly risk to going down this route, but it's a long-term perspective. You know, when you make the decision to go to this type of program, it's not 
something you're doing for a quote one year just to get a lower premium. We are going to be looking at your cash flows um, and really looking at this more as, again, a, finance, a financing decision. So we're going to be looking five or 10 years out. And really, most of these things, when looked at on that long a horizon, still end up making sense. Awesome. Okay, that, that makes sense. So you would say that the, the product that you specialize in um, is more for longer term holders, potentially. Um, is that simply because of deductibles? Like what, what's like the, the lowest deductible for your program? We, I mean, we have, you know, I do traditional brokerage, which is what most investors are going to be accustomed to. So we represent nearly every insurance company in the country that's going to work with um, real estate investors. So we do offer traditional coverage where you can have a 500 or a $1,000 deductible. Um, to get into the more complex products that we're talking about, you're usually looking at starting at about $50,000 uh, deductible or retention. Um, and I, those terms get used interchangeably. There's some technical differences in the definition. So if you hear me say retention, you can substitute deductible. It basically means the same thing. Got it. Um, and so that deductible for your plan is that that's per claim, correct? Is that the same as any other? It can be per claim. Uh, we do also have the ability, depending on the size of, of that deductible or retention, to do what's called an aggregate uh, deductible. So we may actually have a per claim of $25,000, but an aggregate or a maximum loss per year of $50,000 or $100,000. And again, those are all going to be variables that impact the price of the program. And so that's really where diving into these things and doing a true financial analysis, looking at your portfolio's claims history is going to be very important because part of what we're going to do is project out based on your history, what your potential claims look like over a five or 10 year period. And you can then calculate based on your internal uh, financial requirements, whether this makes sense or not. You know, what is your cost of capital? Is this a good use of your funds? Can you put the money you're saving from a reducing, reducing your insurance costs to better use elsewhere and actually drive a higher return. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Um, what other topics do you guys really use to educate your audience on the types of products that you, you have? Because as you said, it's not, it's not that traditional for the average real estate investor. Yeah, I mean, this is really, my job is more about educating uh, than it is about selling. Um, I think getting investors that, first of all, have the financial savvy that most real estate, larger real estate investors have, uh, that's the first step because we're able to talk using financial terminology instead of really diving into coverage, you know, worrying about what the exact wording of the policy is. That stuff, when you're getting to this scale, is pretty simple. We all kind of know what we're doing. It's not complicated, both the investor and we on the brokerage side understand coverage. That's not the issue. The issue is, hey, let's run a discount cash flow model on your portfolio and look at what we can do to move your um, you know, return of investment rate based on making these adjustments. So a lot of this is really diving into the internal financials of the portfolio or asset manager and figuring out what's the optimal risk retention for them. Uh, so again, you know, a lot of education, also, I think one of the other things that we really like to talk to investors about is the ability to design customized coverage. Um, I think that's something that, you know, as we've seen with the pandemic and all of the uh, discussion surrounding the business interruption claims that aren't being covered, 
the companies that planned ahead actually are covered for this. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion out there that, oh, nobody knew this could happen. Oh, this is this huge surprise. It's not. We, it, this has been known this was going to happen for a very long time. Uh, it was not an if, it was a when. And large asset managers, large uh, investors have utilized their alternative insurance program to reserve for these losses. And so they've been utilizing their independently owned insurance company, their captive, to accrue uh, loss reserves. And so they've actually been paying in premium for 5, 10, 15 years. So when these events are hitting, they've got funds ready to go, ready to deploy to pay the claims internally. So I think that's a, something that gets overlooked is you can insure things that normally wouldn't be insurable in the traditional marketplace when you shift to this alternative insurance strategy. Uh, another example is going to be uh, weather-related events. You know, we have um, some some industries that are very, very exposed to weather issues, uh, whether that's, and I'm talking about things beyond just a hurricane thing, you know, something like, a, you know, if you own an investment portfolio that's heavily geared towards uh, short-term rentals in a resort town, uh, say a ski area like we have here, and there's no snow one winter. You have, no, you have no renters. Well, we can actually, through the captive insurance program, provide insurance coverage to your portfolio uh, to make up for that loss of income. So there's a lot of creative uses uh, for this type of program. And it allows us to really step back and instead of just quoting insurance and saying, hey, this is what you need, here's your price, to really analyze the risk of a portfolio and figure out where can we um, hedge against potential losses across all exposures, not just the, the things you normally think of like fire or flood uh, or hail damage, for example. Sure, no, that's really interesting what you said with, um, you, can, you can use your policy in, in your instance, you're in Denver and there's no snow and you have really no renters one year. Really interesting. Um, how did, what, what would that be like considered, would that be business interruption insurance? But what would that be considered? Yep, business interruption. Yeah. And really the great thing about these programs is you don't have to use off-the-shelf policy language. You know, we are truly custom building coverage. So we work with coverage attorneys uh, to draft language that actually meets your specific concerns. So if you have, you know, there, we've even seen situations where we're able to ensure for conflict between an LP and a GP where they're concerned about potential internal conflict. And they said, you know what? We really don't want to carry all the legal risk there. We think that there's a possibility, you know, we're working with a new partner that we're a little unsure about. We want to hedge that in case there's a problem or even that a funding source falls through that, you know, you've got a commitment, but you, you know, the deal's not signed, but you've now put down a significant amount of hard money. And you want to make sure that if your funding source falls through, that you have some sort of uh, hedge that's another great way to use this. So again, this is much more about creating custom solutions to the exposures very specific to the portfolio or asset manager's risk. Really interesting. So we're going to wind it down a little bit here, Zach. Um, how can people find out who you are and, and if they want to learn more about what you do and what you provide? Sure. Well, I'm always available by phone. Uh, my number is 303 225 3309. That's uh, my direct number. So feel free to pick up the phone and give me a call. Uh, my email address is Zach, Z-A-C-H, 
dot stock s t o c k at thrive risk.com and my company is thrive risk management uh, so that's how they can reach me and then of course on linkedin uh, always always happy to engage and really i'm just looking to be a resource for this industry i'm the real estate investor myself so this is a very personal uh area of interest for me and I like being an educational resource and really letting people know that, you know, you don't need to be trapped in the traditional insurance market, but there really are other options available. Really interesting stuff, Zach. Well, I really appreciate you coming on our show today. Um, and yeah, definitely feel free to reach out to Zach. What we're going to do is uh, when this is posted, we'll have all of Zach's, we'll have his phone number and everything what he just mentioned in the comments section. And also um, in the description on iTunes, we'll have a link to his, LinkedIn profile and, and website, as he just mentioned. Uh, so you can reach out to Zach at any time if you want to learn more or if, if you want to reach out to me and you want to get introduced to Zach, I'm happy to make that um, warm connection. So uh, Zach Stock, really appreciate you coming on the show again today um, and hope to have you on again soon after uh, this pandemic sort of se settles down and kind of see how the world's adapting and changing. Um, Absolutely. As to insurance. All right. Thanks for your time. It was great being here. Thank you, Zach.